0: Hello and welcome to this week's Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. I'm in Marlborough in London to meet the late Dame Barbara Windsor's husband, Scott Mitchell, at the beautiful muse home they shared. Scott married national Treasure Dame Barbara, loved when I was growing up for her cheeky roles in the hilarious Carry On films, and later for playing Peggy Mitchell in the BBC soap EastEnders. But at five o'clock on April the 22nd, 2014, their world was turned upside down when Barbara was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, a disease which would, as Scott puts it, steal his beloved wife. They eventually went public with her diagnosis in a bid to help others, and after a six-year heartbreaking struggle with the disease for both of them, Barbara passed away two and a half years ago. Scott has done extraordinary things to raise awareness and funding, including going to Number 10 to meet the then Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Within a week, Boris confirmed the government's manifesto pledge of doubling dementia research funding to £160 million a year by 2024 and promised a new task force would be formed to speed up research. Scott is now a highly valued ambassador for Alzheimer's Research UK and in 2019 he helped raise more than £4 million for Dementia Revolution, a record-breaking partnership from Alzheimer's Research UK and the Alzheimer's Society with current and former EastEnders actors when they ran the London Marathon as Barbara's revolutionaries. And today, he's sharing his and Barbara's story to try to help others and build on a national conversation about a disease which affects more than a million people in Britain. Scott, thank you so much for inviting me to the Pale Blue Muse. It's so (laughs) beautiful and It's covered in gorgeous photographs of you and Barbara, I suspect full of wonderful memories, is it?
1: It really is. It's lovely to see you, Helen. And yeah, they are wonderful memories. It's a really interesting thing because I've been in this house for 30 years now. Barbara was already here when we met. And when I think about that, 30 years, it's like half my adult life I've lived in this house now. And and sometimes, you know, I forget that. Uh, This is really my home. And it's full of incredible memories. We had the most wonderful life together. But it was a real life and it was full of all the things that happened to other people, you know, in their relationships. It was full of ups and downs and dramas, but we had such fun as well. You know, that was the incredible thing. We just had a real fun time together. We were incredibly close. We were almost inseparable during that time. Yeah, so when Barbara passed, a few people said to me, do you think you should stay at the house? you know, don't you think, you know, all the memories? And I said, well, apart from the last couple of years when they obviously weren't such lovely memories, when she was really poorly, I said, it's a wonderful place to be. It's a wonderful life to look back on in this house. And, you know, I, I still feel her presence. I still have photos up. She will always be a part of me. Whatever happens now with my life going forward, I know that Barbara will always be a massive part of my life because I did spend 27 years of it with her you know so she has been the longest part of my life as far as uh, love and relationship and she's my only marriage so yeah I, i love being here and i love being surrounded by everything that she represented and we represented together
0: I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to leave. I mean, this is full of, imagine, a lot of laughter, a, a lot of fun. And actually, I can kind of imagine her here, mm. just coming into your kitchen, getting a cup of tea, looking up on the wall and seeing those great carry-on cartoons of, of how I remember Barbara when yeah. I was growing up and probably and me as when well. you were growing up as <laughs> Definitely, well. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I bet she loved this area because you're tucked away, mm. but in one of... London's most vibrant cool neighborhoods aren't you
1: exactly and and the other thing about Barbara is she loved to go out and about and and just you know Barbara was someone if she wanted a pint of milk yeah well she'd pop around the corner she'd walk around the corner to get a pint of milk and buy her newspapers that was her I think at times she forgot how famous she was but she never acted as if that should ever change her life from the day I knew her and I think that's what made Barbara's career so long as well. The longevity of her was the fact that she just was a very normal lady. It's very easy, I think, and we who have witnessed it can all say that sometimes people get lost in celebrity and fame. And it's very dangerous when that happens, when they forget that they're just a normal person. And the great thing about Bar was, you know, however well known she was, and she was, A tremendously famous lady in this country. There's no doubt about it. You know, to walk down the street with Barbara was an incredible thing. I mean, the minute people noticed her, there was no mistaking that that's who it was. And they used to smile. It used to be a lovely thing. People would see her and they'd instantly smile. I always used to say to her, I said, it's like walking down the street with Tinkerbell, with you? I said, there's this lovely endearing smile comes over people's faces. But yeah, she loved it around here. She loved the fact that it was quite villagey, that everyone knew each other she's always very interested in other people like for instance our local flower stall Marylebone high street barbara would go and turn their lights on at christmas you know <laughs> she wouldn't be doing the regent street lights which she had done in her time but you know she'd want to turn up for the the local flower people and just stand at the stall and have a laugh and you know kind of get a crowd round saying forget regent street forget oxford street this is where it's all happening <laughs> she was a big part of the community so all the locals were very much used to seeing her trotting around you could hear her little high heels clip clopping everywhere.
0: I heard her little high heels clip clopping around the market a few times because I used to come to the Marlborough Farmer's Market and I was lucky that many years ago I did meet her Mm. and interview her and you know they say you shouldn't meet heroes but those twinkly eyes you know she was just absolutely lovely. Did she like being recognised? Was she really happy for people to stop and have photos and
1: Totally. She really, really was. I mean, she always, I think it went back to how she was when, you you know, she went into the business at a young age. Barbara was in the West End at the age of 15.
0: 15? Doing
1: a show called Love from Judy, where June Whitfield was the leading lady. Oh, I love June Whitfield. At at that time, Barbara played an orphan. Uh, She played a a 10-year-old orphan, although she was 15. But she said they were very strict in those days. And the way barbara looked at it as far as being recognized and being stopped and asked for photos and everything else she used to say different things she used to say to me let me tell you something love it takes a lot of courage for someone to come up to you and say can i have your autograph or can i have a picture with you because they don't know how you're going to be i might turn around and be absolutely horrible and say do you mind not disturbing me but she said you have to remember These are the people who keep you in work. I know that everyone who shouts out Hello Babs in the street over the years, they're the ones who have watched those films. They're the ones who have watched EastEnders. They're the ones who have come to see me in the theatre when I've been doing theatre. She said, and that's really important. And if I haven't got two minutes to stop and say hello to someone and maybe make someone's day having a little chat with them, then that would say a lot about me. And she used to get very angry with any celebs that she witnessed. Who would kind of ignore the public? Or- yeah,
0: because not everybody is as friendly. No, not. No, some no, of it's an no, act. not. We all know that, don't we? Yeah. From our business that yeah. we've both been in.
1: Definitely, and, and but she was no. She was staunchly. I chose to do this. I'm in the public eye, and I have a responsibility as well. In that case So I mean she'd take it too far If someone hadn't noticed her She'd go out and grab them For a picture But
0: (laughs) (laughs) And did you Like me Love those Carry-on films From years ago Because I've watched All of them And I remember Set moments I suppose we all remember I remember that Bikini moment Where her top flew off Of course And a little giggle And they were Fantastic films Weren't they
1: Definitely Definitely And I can remember Really liking them I loved the humour Of the Carry-on films I can remember that as a real youngster so you can imagine it was very bizarre when i actually met barbara and and we became involved with each other It was the most extraordinary thing ever the the most against all odds kind of liaison that you could have imagined and that was because barbara and my mum went to dancing school together when they were eight years of age and then they knew each other as they were growing up independently barbara got to know my dad who used to hang around Stamford Hill with a load of his mates and he'd always be really polite and when all his mates were trying to grab Barbara she walked past when she was 18 she said there was always this polite good looking one called Ronnie always just say, come on leave Barbara alone boys and, and she said and that was your dad and then mum and dad met And then they met and became married. So they had this like mutual associate friend. And of course, Barbara's life went in a different direction to mum and dad's. But over the years, they always passed messages on to each other. And then one year, it was about a year after I'd left drama school, I was down in Hove where we lived. And mum said, oh, our old friend's coming for dinner tomorrow night, Barbara Windsor. And she said, you know, why don't you stay down? I was living in London and you know, I had my own life up there. And I I went, well, I said, I'm not being funny. I said, I I don't really want to have dinner with you two and Barbara Windsor. (laughs) (laughs) So Mum said, well, why? You know, she'll be really interesting. She knows so much about the business. You're just starting out. And I thought, actually, yeah, it was a really weird thing to say. That was it. It went from there. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Was there a
0: real spark between you? Was there just some, some real magic, do you think?
1: I remember her opening the front door. She was staying at Victor Spinetti's house once. Oh, old yeah, I remember Victor Spinetti. Yeah, and I I turned up at the doorstep. I was 29, but seriously, I must have looked about 17. I just looked <laughs> really young, ridiculously young. I went, "Hello, Barbara." I said, "I'm Scott, Rita's son." And she went, "Oh, hello, love." She went, "Look, look, you better come in because I'm not ready." And uh, I thought that's weird. She looks ready, you know. She had her coat on and her handbag and everything. She was ready to go. And she told me like quite a while later, she said, I was ready, but I couldn't work out how old you was. And I wanted to get a better look.
0: (laughs) That was so Barbara. (laughs) That was so Barbara. That was
1: so Barbara. And, you know, we did hit it off straight away. I remember from that first journey going back to mum and dad's, we just chatted away. And Barbara and I were like that for most likely the whole of our Life. We never didn't have anything to talk about. Whatever it was, you know, just nattering away to each other. We always found something to talk about. So there was just this incredible bond. At first, you don't initially think in that way. I mean, after all, this was my mum and dad's friend, their age group of their generation that I was going to pick up. But I was struck with how... Youthful she was, how much younger she looked than I expected. Uh, she's a very pretty lady, Barbara. She was like a little China doll in real life. She really was. Everyone was always amazed at how pretty she was when they met her and, and how petite. She was four foot ten and a half.
0: And the half was important, <laughs> <hey>? Exactly, <laughs> with her
1: two and a half feet. <laughs> it went on from there and we stayed in contact for a few months and then she got a play which she asked me to come down here to this house to help her learn her lines which was a bit of a coy, I think, looking back on it. What well,
0: a bit of a ploy to yeah, get you. Exactly. Yeah, Just to really check out how it's, old you were. <laughs> exactly,
1: and then we just got to know each other. Wasn't your so. first
0: date quite glam? Didn't you go to the House of Commons with Shirley Bassey or House something? House of Commons, Shirley yeah. Bassey
1: was sitting behind us. There's this wonderful picture of Barbara and I sitting there in the background, Shirley Bassey is sitting kind of leaning on her fist, looking really bored. (laughs) And it was just an amazing night. And I remember, you know, for me, okay, I'd been to drama school, but that kind of thing wasn't my life. I wasn't a successful actor who mixed in these kind of circles. So to kind of suddenly be sitting in the House of Commons at an MP's birthday party was just mind blowing. And, you know, I was sitting next to barbara elaine page was at the table as we say bassie was behind us and it was just an incredible thing there was nothing we could do we just fell in love it was as simple as that we couldn't not be together back then it wasn't easy barbara was at the end of her second marriage they were living in separate homes but publicly people thought she was still married So, of course, the first, let's say, six months, I was passed off as her driver or a friend or when she went into the theatre, her dresser. So it was all really bizarre and so they were stressful times as well as well as being incredible you know that when you first meet someone and you're both kind of head over heels and you can't bear the thought of not being with each other but of course added to that was the stress of people not knowing or seeing us or working out something was going on so it was an incredible time
0: that must have been quite tricky because when you're as well known as that it's very difficult to have a private life isn't it you and Barbara lived her life in the public domain she was a huge celebrity. Mm, mm. So it's very difficult to find that balance with privacy, I think. And I suppose there'd be gossip around that time because of you course. were about 26 years younger. 26 years is younger. younger. And as I
1: say, although she looked young, I look very young. Yeah. So it was obvious. Age is
0: just a number, isn't
1: it? Well, for two people who fall in love, who have an age difference, it doesn't mean a thing. It seems to matter to everyone else.
0: Exactly. Actually, You're so right.
1: Until it happens to them.
0: And when you talked just now about how much in love you were in those early days, mm. I can see it in your eyes. And yeah. you we know, were together for years, but yeah. she was absolutely the love of your life and, and yeah. you
1: hers. Definitely. And, and we both knew that. I think it's because we were so easy with each other. I think maybe some of the resistance that we came across, and as we say, it can be quite a gossipy, nasty industry at times not only the industry of course once it became public about us there were there was lots of comments there was lots of people being very unkind and lots of sniggers if we walked into restaurants and things lots of whispers so it was a really difficult time but what happened with us was the more people did that the closer we became the more we protected each other and, and looked out for each other and loved each other so it, it was a really trying time but it really kind of made us very strong as a couple
0: I'm sure it did and although you say that you lived a normal life and yes of course you need to pop out and get your milk yeah. like everybody else there was also a very glitzy show busy side what are your best memories of those times, Scott, where perhaps you both felt, I need to pinch myself. Is this really happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were lots of things. I mean, there were so many nights like that. It's, I think it's really hard to kind of pinpoint them down because what could just start off as a normal night, being with Barbara, could end up a mad, crazy night somewhere, bumping into all these different people that I may have only seen on the TV or something. So it was really strange. But there were a lot of moments where I think... You do pinch yourself. I remember being at Elton John's fiftieth birthday, and we were both dressed as Pearly King and Queen.
0: Ah, that picture's in your book, isn't it? Yeah.
1: And I just remember looking around, and there was like every star you can imagine, and and it was when Elton and David came out of the back of a big lorry with those great big wigs on, those high wigs, the
0: fourteenth, absolutely like Restoration type. Yeah,
1: it was absolutely incredible, and I was looking around there thinking. Wow. You know, Janet Street Porter was Wonder Woman or (laughs) Paul O'Grady was Lily, I think, actually, quite actually. But there was everyone. I mean, you know, you were talking about your McCartneys. Everyone was there. It was an incredible thing. And sometimes I'd go to opening nights and I'd see some of these, what I'd say, real stars like, you know, Roger Moore, people like that being in the vicinity of them, because they're the people who I look at as they were real stars. I think celebs are a different kind of kettle of fish in a way. There's something about film stars, which make them a little bit different, I think. And people like Elton John, who are global rock stars. There's just something a little bit makes you kind of go...
0: I know this is your podcast, not Mm. mine, but I'm going to share with you a little Roger Moore story, which will make you love Roger Moore even more. So many moons ago, I went to Monaco Mm. and interviewed him. And he turned up wearing all pale lemons, actually a similar shade to your T-shirt, but pale lemon trousers, pale lemon shirt. And after the interview, he said to me and the crew, well, that was a lovely interview. Would you like to come for lunch? And I'm a massive Bond fan. And it was like, oh my goodness, we're having lunch with Roger Moore. This is amazing. And I was telling him that at the time I was just leaving Sky News and I'd got a job as entertainment correspondent at GMTV, which is now Good Morning Britain, ITV Breakfast. And on my first day at GMTV, this is how long ago it was, they said to me, oh, Helen, there's a fax for you. Fax? So I was like, really? And they said, it says it's from Roger Moore. And he'd faxed. GMTV to say, dear Helen, I just wanted to wish you luck on your first day. And he made me look oh, a superstar, wow. Scott, because it made me look like I knew people like Roger Moore. But oh, what wow. a gentleman. But that's a
1: real star, you see, Th- yeah. those touches of kindness and thoughtfulness and not thinking they're above doing that to someone who may not be on that equal level at that point of their career or whatever. To me, that's what made the true stars and that's what made them real people and kind people and compassionate people. You can see many differences of how that works (laughs) within within the industry. The other
0: photograph that really stands out, we'll talk about your book in a minute, Mm. because I'm looking at the paperback now that you wrote. But the other picture that I thought was amazing, which must have been an incredible moment for Barbara, was meeting the queen on set at Albert Square. Mm. That must have been very magical. And they're probably about the same height too, weren't they?
1: Yes, yeah. Little I mean,
0: people together.
1: Definitely. <laughs> and Barbara was a massive royalist. She adored our royal family. And I think that goes back to the kind of East End thing, you know, when the Blitz happened and the royal family visited the East End straight afterwards. And Cockneys have always like had a real love for the royal family. And Barbara just kind of as far as Britain was concerned. You know, Barbara was such a true you know, Great Britain person and loves London and everything else. But she was tremendously proud of coming from the UK, Barbara. She, you know, she would always tell you that is the best country in the world. It's the best ever. And she was biased about London, of course. She'd say it's the best city. So anyone coming from further out north might disagree. <laughs> but that this was her domain. You know, she was the Cockney Sparrow. It's as simple as that. But when she actually met the Queen on those occasions, she never, ever kind of could get over it, that her, this little girl from the East End, this little Barbara Ann Deeks, would one day be meeting and conversing with the Queen of England. It was great because when Barbara received her MBA and her Damehood, she got the Queen both those times. As well as when she showed her around the set at EastEnders. And she'd met her at Royal Varieties as well. Things like that were the most proudest days of her life. And I know she always used to say, I only wish my mummy could have been here to see it.
0: Oh, I bet, know, yeah. I bet she did. And did the Queen, did she ever give any indication as to whether she watched EastEnders or not? Because I wouldn't be surprised if she does not th-
1: tune in. No, she did didn't. They not think, give an I indication? I think that she may have said something to the effect of, it's the wrong time of day, it's when I'm having my supper.
0: Oh, that's so sweet what, 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 a, what a lovely thing yeah to yeah say. yeah
1: exactly and I don't honestly think kind of Barbara would have been expecting no. the Queen to be tuning into <laughs> how, her how nice that she was Enders. on set oh exactly uh, lovely, oh yeah and Barbara was so proud that she was, she was the one given the responsibility oh, to, to take her around things like that were such special days for Barbara yeah. and the day she received her honours and that was just incredible as well
0: it's been two and a half years now Scott how are you getting on How are you managing? I know you had a few rough years coping with Barbara's illness and watching her become not the Barbara Mm. you knew, but how are you getting on at rebuilding your life and enjoying the memories but also... Moving forward, you're still really young, and thank well, you. we decided to be 40. Yeah, yeah, we yeah well, I was going to say. Yeah, 60, <laughs> still young. It <laughs> it I feel it, as 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 in as
1: as 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 it in my head. I
0: will tell you what, you've got great hair, great skin.
1: Thank <laughs> you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I don't I know. know why. Listen, the life I've led, I, sh- I shouldn't be looking like this, believe <laughs> me. But so, some miracle has kind of kept it going okay. <laughs> but I am doing much better this year. i mean, I am starting to move forward this year. The first year, as you can imagine, with any bereavement of of someone that you've spent your life with you know whether that be your partner it's like losing anyone in your life that you love grief is something one goes through and and has to go through i think for me with alzheimer's you kind of grieve different periods and The grieving started with me, I would say, at diagnosis. And that's when you first start grieving that person. So the day he said that you described in 2014, when he confirmed that Barbara had Alzheimer's, I started my grieving then. And I think what's very difficult for people when their loved one receives that diagnosis. You can't help but jump straight forward to a really dark time. Barbara's first thought was stretching her hand out to me and saying, I'm sorry.
0: She said, I'm sorry. She said, I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry, Scott. Because in her mind, she thought, he's going to have to look after me. And of course I said, "I said, don't you ever be sorry to me. We'll be okay, we'll be okay. But in my head, I was thinking, oh my God, there are a million things were going through my head she might not remember who i am she might not know who she was and everything she's achieved and things like that you know you go straight through it so that's where the grieving starts because you pretty much know that it's a one-way street unfortunately with dementia alzheimer's at this point in time there is no cure there are no treatments that can reverse it so once you're on that path unfortunately it's not always fast it can be painfully slow but you're heading in one direction. That was my first sense of grieving. My second sense of grieving, where well, you're doing it the whole way along as the disease progresses anyway. You're losing that person in front of your eyes. It's like Chinese torture. It's cruel. And you slowly watch them being stripped away part by part in front of you. And that person that you knew, in this case, this vibrant, funny, kind warm lovely lady was just becoming a a shadow of herself who as it went on would say sit in this front room where she'd been herself for you know nearly 30 years and would say to me are we in stoke newington is this where my mummy lives or is my mum and dad coming to see me tonight you've got to remember barbara's in her 80s now it's painful and your grieving is happening then I found one of the worst parts for me was actually when she had to go into a care home. And I found that harder than anything. I knew I wasn't letting her down. I knew I had taken her as far as I possibly could. And we want to do it all ourselves for our loved one. But even with 24-7 carers coming in, the house was no longer safe for Barbara to be in. It wasn't practical for us to get her in and out of the bath, etc. She needed proper round-the-clock attention. But I gave myself a really hard time when it came to that. And of course, then her passing. Those last few days and the funeral were most likely the most heartbreaking pain, emotional pain I I think I've ever felt in my life. It was beyond anything saying goodbye. Because I think that's the thing about it, isn't it? It's the finality. And that's what we all accept when we lose someone. We have to accept they ain't coming back we've said our goodbyes. And and I think that's why it's so important for all of us as well. It, it certainly made me re-look at the way I do life and value life and the people in my life. All of us get caught up in being so busy and maybe not taking the time to tell people how we feel, those close to us, of how we love them. And luckily, Barbara and I always told each other we loved each other. We said it Every night before a dementia, we'd always say, I love you. Even if we had the hump with each other, <laughs> we'd say, I love you. <laughs> Which we used to get the hump with each other because we were a normal couple. It really is so important because you realise when you lose someone, that is it. You're never going to get the chance to tell them what you need to. If you are not done it now, I'd do it. And I'd then do, you do
0: it. have to use those wonderful years. And I suppose feel blessed that not everybody finds the love that you've had, Scott, in your life. Mm. And I suppose then you have gratitude, don't you? I, am,
1: that I have so much gratitude. I am so blessed to have shared 27 years of my life with Barbara and experienced the love we shared, the story that we shared, the things that we went through. We were so lucky That it worked the way because it shouldn't have worked on paper for us you know i understand all the the doubting thomases at first but barbara was always a very generous lady we were always very real together as well and that was the other thing barbara and i didn't hide who we were from each other. We both knew who we were. Neither of us were angels. We both had impish naughty sides to us. Barbara certainly had all through her life. Some people can't handle it. Some people are very jealous or get very insecure and say, you know, I I don't want to think that you've lived this life. But listen, I wasn't alive for half of her life. So, so, you know, I'm not going to start condemning how she lived it. And the thing was, she lived life to the full. And I tell you when that really came home Helen was that last few days in the care home we were in lockdown I was lucky that the care home that she was in believed that everyone should have a loved one with them at end of life
0: gosh you were very I lucky. I was very there. lucky
1: and yeah. that didn't just apply to me because it was Barbara Windsor no. this applied to anyone any of their residents yeah. one family member could be with yes. them so I stayed there for five days once she'd lost consciousness. It was then that I looked at her and, and, you know, she wasn't responsive by now. And I just looked at her and she was peaceful and just in a deep, deep sleep. And I was talking to her and I thought, I'm so pleased you led that life bar. I know you were a bit wild. I know you did some crazy things. And I know that, you know, you, know, you had the time of your life. But I'm so glad because this is how it ends for all of us. So all the things we worry about and being judged on, and it's such a waste of time. It's such a waste of energy. You've uh, just
0: got to get on with it you have and to be get, who you You are. have to get
1: on with it. Try and be a decent person, a kind person. Be who you are. Don't sweat too much about everyone else. Not everyone's going to like us. Bar taught me that as well because I used to say to her about her interviews. She was very candid in her interviews, and I think that's why I am. When I've spoken about us in the past, I used to say, "Why? Why do you feel you have to talk about all your love life and this and that?" And she said, "Because I'm the one who has to look in the mirror, love. I have to own myself, so I could give you all the most wonderful story about what a wonderful, well-behaved little lady I am. But these are the things that have happened to me. It's who I am." I'm not ashamed of who I am. I've made mistakes like lots of other people make mistakes. And I happen to be in a position where I'm asked about my life. So I choose not to lie about it. And of course, she drew criticism for some of the things that she spoke about. But I always admired her for being true to herself. She said, some people like you, some people won't. The ones who don't most likely didn't like you anyway, whether you tell the truth about yourself or not. So I don't need to try and win them over. That's a thankless task.
0: They sound very... Wise words to me, definitely. Very wise words. I know Barbara and you have a lot of friends in showbiz circles. You, David Walliams, and Christopher Biggins, and lots of people who I admire and love. Did they spend some good time in the book? I think you talk about David Walliams coming to sit with Barbara and Biggins yeah. making a laugh. Was there some yeah. good support
1: from? No, they they were showbiz abs- friends. Yeah, her friends, proper friends, proper friends. Yeah. Her real, the ones yeah. we socialised with, yeah. and when on our dinners with, you know, and that would be like the David Williams, the Matt Lucases, Biggins, Paula Grady, Gabby Roslin would pop round. And there were other people, you know, who we didn't necessarily socialise with a lot that came round to see her. Like Jonathan Ross came and spent a few hours with her one afternoon, which I thought was lovely. People were really good. And I'll tell you the lovely thing. They've also stayed very supportive and loyal to me. And a lot of the time when you're not the famous one, and your famous partner dies, it's very easy for people to get completely left out of invites and everything else. But we had incredible friends who have remained incredible friends to me and all of her EastEnders, of course, people like Ross Kemp, what I call my little band of East Enders runners. Yeah, your Enders runners, we'll get on to people. that. Those people. So, so yeah, she wasn't forgotten. Not everyone, not everyone no. stayed in touch. That's life. Some people didn't come and see her.
0: But the ones Who that did, thought, did they make, lo- you, make her laugh? Yeah, you and... focus
1: on the ones that did. Yeah, You focus on the ones that did and they did make her laugh and they were wonderful with her and patient... Shane Ritchie would always make her laugh if he, if he came round. They just know how to make her giggle and what to talk about and the things that she would want to talk about. I just remember thinking they're really good people and obviously friends outside of show business as well that would give us a lot of time and support. I think it's important for people, if you know someone who is caring for a loved one, with dementia especially, it's very important to keep an eye on them, on the carer, because It's a very isolating situation. And when you are spending your whole time and it gets to a point where literally you are spending your whole time having conversations with someone who's getting advanced Alzheimer's, it's a very difficult thing. It takes a very big toll on the carer. So, I would always say, if you do know someone in that situation, even if you feel awkward that you think, "Oh, I don't want to go around there because I don't know how to handle it if the person if the person with dementia says something, the odds are they might repeat themselves. Or they might look a bit confused and not recognise you. If that's the worst it gets, I'm sure you can get through it.
0: Yeah, you know, you
1: You're just doing this to support the other person
0: That's so who's there. important. It's I, so yeah. important. And, and, I,
1: and I think sometimes people can forget that. I can't say it from personal experience, but I do know it happens. And I do know from the ones who did disappear that it's very easy for it to happen.
0: Yes. We'll talk about your running in a minute because I know that your first marathon when Barbara was still alive. Yes. And I know that that was a bit of a saving grace for you. So hold that thought because I just wanted to say that as Barbara's memory started to slip, what were the things you did that tried to keep those memories alive for Barbara?
1: Well, I'd have to keep reminding her of things. And, And of course, it comes and goes. So at times she'd be completely lucid. You'd be having a normal conversation. And at another time, she may look at our wedding picture and say, who was that? And then look at me and say, How do we know each other? So that's so hard. It's really hard. And it changes as it gets worse, obviously. Things I used to do was I'd just softly try and remind her. I had a board here in front of the TV, which had pictures of our life together. And I'd write on it, 1993, I knew you'd that. That's where we met, look how young we look. And I'd have a picture from our wedding and a holiday or something like that with all different dates on it. So that is one way of trying to remind them. The other thing about being a carer is you're never gonna get it right. Because most of us are not born to be equipped as carers and when you're caring for someone who you love very much it can make it very difficult especially when it gets more frightening when the symptoms become terrifying to watch or you don't know what to do because you can't help that person in that moment so a lot of the time people with Alzheimer's will become very anxious very emotional they can become aggressive I remember times when Barbara used to look completely lost and she'd look into my eyes and it would be terror and i could see she didn't know who she was where she was who i was and that's a horrible place to be because you just want to reach inside them and say you're okay but you can't and you can't get through to them so you learn techniques you learn in your own way mine was always i did everything with a very gentle smile to her I'd softly say her name. I'd remind her that it's me, Scott, your husband, you know, loves you. And try and bring her back, which, you know, usually at some point she would come back. It's a horrible place to be and you feel very helpless. And when that used to happen, this is where my passion comes in for the work I do with Alzheimer's Research UK. When that used to happen, I used to talk. To the alzheimer's i used to talk to the disease in my head and i used to say okay you are bigger than me i can't stop what you are doing to this wonderful woman but if i can do anything to one day help find some way to beat you in some way i will do that if that means continuing barbara's legacy if that means raising money for instance as you mentioned the marathons i fell into that It was 2019. We went public in 2018, and in 2019, the Dementia Revolution was set up just for one year as a partner for the London Marathon. And I was approached by one of the charities to say, "Would you mind if we ask some of Barbara's ex-castmates at EastEnders if they'll set up a team and run for Barbara?" So I went wonderful I said yeah yeah we've got no problem with that and Barbara said oh yeah let them do that so they did and I, I was sitting with Adam Woodyard who plays Ian Bill and and Jake Wood plays Max Browning. and they were saying so you're going to do it with us Scott and I went me <laughs> I said are you mad I said I'm 55 I don't like running I've never liked running and I'm not going to run a marathon you're mad and they went Scott you can do it you can do it. And, and I thought, oh God, what can I do? You know, how can I not commit to doing this when all of them are prepared to do this and put themselves through the training? So I started training first run was just appalling I mean I stopped after a quarter of a mile I was huffing and puffing I thought I was going to be sick I was sinking in my head because by now I'd announced I was doing it
0: (laughs) there's no way back no way back and I was thinking (laughs) to
1: myself are you mad how on earth are you going to do this Scott and then I felt stupid and I thought oh my god you're gonna have to pull out yeah this was after the first run but I persevered with it and what I found was the walking part became less and I wanted to run more And the biggest benefit for me I found was, with the longer runs, once we started getting into like, you know, the six plus miles, I found a place in my head that was really peaceful. And it helped me deal with the insanity that I went through sometimes at home with Barbara and the conversations that I had with her repeatedly sitting in night after night, once we couldn't really go out anymore. That was a good kind of couple of years where our social life went to literally zilch. And I just stayed in night after night and she would sit and talk to me about the same thing and ask me the same question over and over again. And what happens is we're only human. We get tired, we get impatient, Inside my head, I would scream like, please make this stop. I may have just finished answering the same thing for the 12th time. And she'd wait a beat and then ask me the question again. And I knew in her mind, she'd never asked me before. She'd forgotten the previous 12 times in the last half hour. So it was such a difficult thing. And I found this incredible release through running. It gave me something else to focus on. So when the carers were here, I could go out and do a three hour training session. And also, I don't have to tell anyone the benefits of exercise. <laughs> you yeah, yeah, yeah. were probably. Yeah, <laughs> you, get, you get addicted to those. And I suddenly felt better than I had done in many, many years. And I think it's also an important thing as far as things like dementia are concerned as well. They will tell you, keep active, keep exercising, keep running, keep socializing. Go out, see your friends, do things, go to the theatre. Don't sit at home and vegetate. And that's what sometimes we can get into the habit of doing. Of course, I was put in that situation because Barbara was so poorly. So we didn't have a choice with it. But certainly I would say for me, it was a saviour. In April 2023, I ran my third and last marathon.
0: Is it now your last? <laughs> yeah, no, I said I said never
1: again the first two times. Never again,
0: never again the first time, and then you did a second, and yeah, then you no. did a third.
1: Seriously, I've just turned 60. I think, really, in all honesty, you're going to get slower each time. It isn't an easy thing to do, run a marathon, but I would say to anyone listening to this, if you've never run a marathon challenge yourself to do it once in your life it will be the biggest sense of achievement if you do the london marathon i promise you you will not have a better day in your life You will never forget it And it will change how you feel about yourself For the rest of your life
0: And I like the fact that you did that first one While Babs was still alive, wasn't she? So whether she knew perhaps you'd done it And then perhaps forgot you'd done it It's lovely that...
1: All the team used to come here Did they? Yeah, they used to come here first And then we'd go running over in Regent's Park Who was
0: in the team? Remind me of the people we'd know from Right. So
1: in that first team, that first year We had Adam Woodgett Jake Wood, Tanya Franks, Natalie Cassidy, Emma Barton, Jamie Borthwick. I'm sorry, I'm saying all the actors' names are not the characters' <laughs> names, aren't I? Don't you worry. I think, I think if
0: you're watching senders, you know you'll know who I'm
1: talking yeah, yeah, exactly. about. So we were really, really lucky, and this year just gone, a few of them did it again with me. Wow. Uh, Adam, Jake, Tanya natalie all and did you raised a lot of money
0: didn't you i mean yeah, between we did. you
1: all well the dementia revolution as a whole campaign and barbara became the face of the dementia revolution she did videos for it she did promotion for it with us as well as us going on to chat shows to promote and fundraise barbara did a lot herself for that so she really became the face of the dementia revolution so as well as our little team there was about two thousand other runners And it's still the most successful charity partner the London Marathon's ever had, raising 4.2 million. That's extraordinary. Yeah, our little team, we raised 150,000.
0: Gosh, that's a lot. In 2019, and also it's, it's so important you did it. There was yeah. no way out of that, Scott. Even though Barbara teased you, that so didn't she joke that your legs were too little to? Run? Yes, she did. She teased you. About she absolutely it, she? said it.
1: She sat here. I was stretching, and you can see she was sitting on this settee here, Helen. And I was stretching. She said, "What are you doing?" I said, I'm just having a stretch before I go out. I said, what do you mean going out? I said, I'm running the marathon, Barbara. You, your legs are too little to run. Thank you very much. I said, but I've got 26 miles to complete. <laughs> so these little legs are going to have to be enough for me. And will you so, still
0: carry on doing just a bit of running? I mean, yes, you don't yes. have to run marathons all the time. No, right? no, last have week. Have you found a love for running?
1: Definitely. I ran, I did five miles last week just for the hell of it. Just it's for good, some just exercise. It's good to clear
0: your mind, isn't it? And it's,
1: mental clarity. It's wonderful and it helps me maintain my unhealthy addiction to sugar and and, and chocolate and <laughs> ice cream. All different podcast. Uh, yeah, and caffeine. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> now, running and raising money isn't all you've done. Tell me about when you went to meet Boris Johnson, who was prime minister at the time, mm. at number 10, because you went with your dementia hat on, knocking at number 10, didn't you? What yeah, happened there?
1: Absolutely. At that point, we went along to talk about social care and general funding for dementia. Boris Johnson had just come into power one of the things he'd said in his address on the steps is we're going to fix social care no one's going to have to sell their house again that was one of the things Barbara wrote to him and we wrote as ambassadors for one of the charities we were granted a meeting which was absolutely amazing because what it did do is it put dementia on every news channel that day and the thing about dementia is as we know there can be a bit of a stigma about talking about dementia and this is a problem that a lot of people have had is that people get embarrassed or ashamed of the way someone in their family might behave when they've got dementia and they want to hide that over the years we used to disguise it would say uh, oh they've gone a bit doolally my old aunt yeah she stays in her room a lot she doesn't come out she says weird things well what we're talking about is dementia i was talking to a neurologist yesterday and what he was saying the same thing he said that 80s talk was senile dementia oh they've gone a bit senile
0: yeah, I remember that phrase yeah. and Lally as well. That's, yeah. a, that's a bit of a northern phrase actually yeah. and, where I'm
1: from. Right. And people also in those days were put into mental institutions yeah. Yeah. because they just thought they'd gone senile no and lost the plot basically. Yeah. What we're talking about is these were people with dementia more than likely yeah. who needed help and understanding and treatment. So we saw him, left it at that. Of course, a couple of years passed. At the time, there was 80 million a year given to dementia funding. What you've got to realize is that I'm not sure of the exact stat now, but up until very recently, for every four researchers for cancer, there is one for dementia dementia is the biggest killer we have one in two people will have either experienced it or will know someone else who is going through it with a loved one or has gone through it with a loved one we are talking a major major this has been warned for the past 40 years no governments wanted to go near it with the social care crisis because they knew how big but they kept sweeping it under the carpet thinking we'll face that when we come to it well guess what the time bomb has gone off i'm afraid we're living in a world affected by dementia which is cruel the funding is better now it was 80 million back then a couple of years went quiet of course the pandemic happened so everything was put on hold i did contact him again when barbara passed i said okay can you tell us where we are because no one in any of the dementia world is noticing any increasing in funding and also A R U K had this initiative which they thought about which was if you remember with the covid vaccine we had a task force yes. so you bring together all the brilliant scientists the pharmaceutical companies the nhs everyone under one umbrella and they made this covid vaccine happen so A R U K said why don't we do this for dementia specifically for dementia so when i wrote to him asking him what was going on i also put in all the details about this idea from aruk and as an ambassador i was presenting it to them anyway long story short things then started to go very wrong in his premiership and didn't hear anything and i kind of thought in my head well that's that i could see the writing on the wall i thought he's not going to be there long. And then one day, about a week before he left office, I got this phone call. I was in bed, eight o'clock in the morning and I had a call on my mobile from a withheld number and it was one of his aides at Downing Street. The Prime Minister wants to know if you're around this week, could you come in to see him? (laughs) Which was, you know, it's a bizarre (laughs) thing to hear for someone like me. Hold on,
0: let's just check my diary. Yes, I can squeeze
1: you in. (laughs) Do you know the most funny thing? The next day, I was due to be at Michelle Collins' wedding reception in the afternoon and I actually said, I've got a wedding reception in the afternoon, but I'll pop in first. That's I said, so but I'll, show "Yeah, so. I said, but I'll be dressed for the wedding. <laughs> so he said, fine. And I went in, he came bounding out, Boris. I'd met him on many occasions, of course, because we knew him when he was Lord Mayor. Barbara had worked with him as a community ambassador, getting all the communities together. And he bound out. And you see, there's a photo up there of the three of us sitting in Downing Street in the garden. The first time we went to him and he got me that photo framed and signed it. Now, Boris may not be a popular man in many, many areas, especially at the moment, which I understand and don't condone any wrongdoing. But for me, I will always remember what he's done for dementia.
0: What did he do? What did he say when
1: you went to see him? He committed. I spent nearly half an hour with him and I sat and told him what happened to Barbara because he obviously, apart from that one meeting there where he could see she wasn't the old Barbara Windsor that he knew. But I explained to him how awful things got and he looked visibly, kind of moved by it. I said, Prime Minister, tell me, have you had it in your family? And he said, oh, I think we had an aunt that went a bit vague. I went vague. I said, there you go. That's how hard it is for people to actually say dementia or Alzheimer's. This is why it's so important. This is why we need to talk about it. This is why we need more funding. And he said, okay, I'm going to stop you. He said, this is why you're here. I just want you to know before I leave, we are committing to the doubling of research by 2024. It will be 160 million. And the idea that you've suggested with ARUK, we're putting 100 million aside for a National Dementia Mission. And we'd like to call it the Dame Barbara Windsor Dementia Mission, with your blessing i looked up and i was really emotional and i just could imagine her little face up there looking down and i just said thank you prime minister first of all for what it will be doing for millions of people in the future and i know barbara would be saying thank you and not believing that that honor has been bestowed to have her own mission named after her for this incredible cause
0: that's extraordinary and with alzheimer's research uk there is some fantastic work going on We've interviewed for the podcast a couple of scientists who are working alongside them. And the idea is to try and identify people who may develop dementia, but 20 years before symptoms show. And you've been hands-on with all this. You've been to the Dementia Research Institute.
1: Goodness, yeah. You're
0: very hands-on with Alzheimer's Research UK. I'm
1: doing trials as well. I'm doing this national government trials as well. So far, I've been involved in virtual reality trials, for instance, I just had to sign up like anyone else. You sign up, you give them a kind of potted life history. They ask you all questions about your medical background, illnesses, etc., etc. et cetera. Loads of questions about yourself. And if you fit any categories that they feel could help them with their trials, they will get in contact with you. So they did with me for this particular one. Basically, I'm there, let's say, as the healthy 60-year-old male. So my test results will be then put against people who are in early dementia or Alzheimer's or... Maybe other diseases that they need you to try for. And I thought, if I'm doing all this campaigning, I'm asking people to be aware, I'm raising funds with marathons and doing things, then, you know, I've got to roll my sleeves up and get in. I mean, running through marathons is kind of rolling your <laughs> sleeves up anyway. But saying that, you know, how else can I help? What is it to me? What a couple of hours out of my time one day just to go along and do these tests, and then maybe another couple of hours three months later to go and do a follow-up written test, if that's my part in helping to change something for future generations, then it's really little to ask of me. And maybe more of us should do it. I had to wait until I was affected by it to become involved. If I'm honest, if you would have said that to me 20 years ago, I most likely would have been like everyone else and said, oh, do me a favor. I'm busy. I've got things to do. I don't want to go and do trials. But you know what? It's only by all of us pitching in and doing things in whatever way we can, that they're going to find out more information. And this is what we're doing. And this will also be what the dementia mission will be about, speeding up treatments, speeding up trials, getting treatments into the system earlier. We've had two big breakthroughs already this year with drugs from America, which are being put through their regulators now. They won't be available here for some time. But... If they catch it really early, they know they can now slow it down to an extent. I think with something like 40%, one of these drugs will slow it down. And I promise you, if you can catch it early with a loved one, that will make such a big difference. That will be the difference to them remaining a bit forgetful one day instead of what I described to you with Barbara going into this terror and being lost and not knowing who she is, who I am or where she is. What's happening to her
0: when you talked about grief and you said that your grieving process started the day of the diagnosis yeah, how bad was Barbara at that point on the day of diagnosis? you know some people say they just noticed somebody was a bit forgetful. Had she got many
1: symptoms? Uh, it was still very mild. I knew because I had noticed, because I was with her every day. I saw the change in Barbara most likely a year or so before I even took her to see the neurologist. And that was middle of 2012. It was still another 18 months before we got the diagnosis because they don't jump to making that kind of diagnosis. You have to see how it progresses. So at that point, she knew something wasn't quite right, but at the same time, she didn't want to talk about it. The advice he gave me at that time, at the early diagnosis, he gave me some great advice, actually, us great advice, which was, first of all, Barbara, you need to put your house in order now. And by that, one means do your will, your power of eternity, why you have the capacity and everything else, and you're thinking straight, all of those things need to be done now. Don't wait for three years. I can't guarantee whether you're going to be able to do that in three years. So I think that's very important because decision-making will come into it for the family at some point. So you need someone who is allowed, who has been given the blessing of that person to make decisions if and when the time comes. for But you.
0: how did Barbara react at that point? Did the enormity of that diagnosis hit her? Did she realise in the true sense of it, what then lay ahead?
1: I think Barbara shut it out of her mind. For four years, Barbara didn't want to let anyone really know about this. When I said to you, she reached her hand out, kind of as she did that, she started to cry, but she withheld it. She kind of breathed in and that was very Barbara, very stoic. And I always think it was quite eerie when she went back to EastEnders in 2016 and she killed Peggy off. There's a lot of similarities in the scenes that she did as Peggy when Peggy sat there just before she took her own life and held her head up and said, no, I'm going to go out with my head held high. And Barbara inhaling her emotions back in to me was that was Barbara staying strong. So whatever was going on in that little mind of hers, it was a big mind. It was a big, clever, intelligent brain, but I always say little, because she was little everything. She was gonna continue. And the other thing he told me, as well as let's say the practical side, which is your health and power of attorneys and all those things, he said, keep her working as long as you can. That is what she knows better than anything. So with Barbara, it was work. She'd done it since she was 15. With one of your loved ones, it may be something else. It may be they have this incredible hobby that they've always loved doing. Keep them doing that. Keep their interest in it for as long as you can. Unfortunately, eventually those things may start to wane and disappear and they'll lose interest anyway. But if you just keep them active, that will just pay it off. There are medications they give you at the very beginning. They may have held it for, I guess, a good 18 months. Maybe they slowed it down, but it's not massive. And then he said at that time, please don't think this is going to be a kind of full-time fix. It's not. And then the disease does start to take over.
0: Looking forward, you're very active with Alzheimer's Research UK and become a kind of bigger ambassador, bigger in a way than just the charity. You're the face of Barbara's part of the campaign, even though she isn't here anymore, still Mm. very much doing all of this in her name, in her honor and for her. What are you hoping can be achieved over the next few years in the Alzheimer's field? What are we looking for, Scott, here?
1: Listen, I think it's very wishful thinking to say, we want a cure, but for a cure. That's the ultimate goal, for a cure, one day. We will absolutely take advanced treatments that will slow it down in its tracks, that will stop it, that will stop the progression of this disease going into these awful symptoms that they do, unfortunately, go into these days. I also want to say one thing. They will tell you that no two people have the same dementia journey. It will be different for everyone. Some of the things I've said about our experience may never happen to someone else listening to this going through it with their own loved one unfortunately a lot of the people i talk to we do share similar experiences which is why it's even more urgent to get it out there so my hope is that one day other generations it'll be after my time i'm sure that other generations like my great nephews and these great niece maybe their generations won't have to care for a loved one in the same way I've had to and millions of other people have had to. I'm very proud and I'll do it as long as it makes a difference for Barbara. Of course, I do have to move on. Barbara was always incredibly generous to me as far as that was concerned. She always used to say before she had the dementia, she'd say, listen, I'll go first because that's how it'll be. And when I go, please, please be upset, be broken hearted. And then I want you to pick yourself up and then promise me, Scott, you'll have the best life ever because that's what I did. I'm starting to feel a little bit of that now and I know that whatever happens with my life I know she would only want the best and happiest outcome for me I know that because she told me that I feel wonderful when I think about her but I also realize I can't live in yesterday
0: and I think just from talking today and just getting a sense of being in the lovely home you shared together she's looking down on you feeling very proud I reckon Uh, thank you very proud of everything you've done, and your love for her and your love as a couple just absolutely shines through. It's wonderful mm. to see. And if people have got time to read your lovely book that's sitting on the coffee table, then they'll see it all—all the lovely life you shared together and ups and downs. Lots know, of u-
1: lots of ups and downs, ups and yeah. Downs,
0: <laughs> but a true proper love story, I think. So thank you so much. And please keep doing what you're doing. It is so important. I say that for somebody whose grandfather went with a bit of dementia in a care home at the end. It was very sad to see my father passed away with a little bit of it just early signs so I understand a little bit of your story so keep doing it you don't have to do another marathon Scott though
1: I promise you yeah, I won't don't
0: do another marathon but keep on running and carry on as Barbara would say excellent thank you <laughs> you've been listening to Scott Mitchell reminiscing about life with his wife showbiz legend Dame Barbara Windsor and how her battle with Alzheimer's has led him to being part of a dementia revolution I think it's fair to say that Scott I think you are part of a dementia revolution and an ambassador for alzheimer's research uk download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search the convex conversation on spotify stitcher apple and google podcasts wherever you listen to yours join me next week for another great guest bye for now